Hello, listeners. Welcome to another great episode of Murray Musings. This is Peter, and we have our wonderful co-host, Rashmi and Scott. We have an amazing episode for you today, um, as we welcome the best sports MC, Blair. Um, Blair, <laughs> you're the preeminent sports MC, um, and you've covered all the majors, the Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the ATP and WTA finals, also including the Fed Cup, Labor Cup, and so many other tournaments, including Cincy Open, where I first first met you so how have you been I have been hanging in there it has been well first of all can I just say thanks for such a nice intro I'm not sure (laughs) I I don't know that I live up to that quite yet I hope maybe one day but uh, I will take it and thank you I feel feel very fortunate to do what I do um and yeah, it's funny to think back to that list of tournaments that you referenced because nothing is really happening as planned, as you all know right now. Uh, the the next two tournaments that were supposed to be on my schedule are really the next three. We already knew about Indian Wells, but then found out that Houston was canceled and uh, as well as the uh, Billie Jean King Cup, which was a possibility for me as well. So I am just trying to take life one day at a time, make myself as productive as possible from home, try to think outside the box with some content ideas. And I was thankfully able to do a little bit of that during quarantine uh, before the Australian Open, which was great. Uh, I definitely felt like, hey, gosh, when are we going to have, and hopefully we won't have that again, but when are we going to have players sitting in their rooms for two weeks, (laughs) twiddling their thumbs? Uh, So, you know, hopefully I was able to uh, make the most of that. I hope the players enjoyed it as well. Uh, So, you know, just making the most of it one day at a time. That's kind of my motto right now. Tell us, how did you get your start into uh, the tennis world? Oh, well, I go way back with the sport of tennis. My dad's a tennis pro, so I kind of grew up next to the tennis courts. I could play as much as I wanted, and which was such a privilege I know now looking back to me. You know, it was just my life. Like, my dad was the tennis pro, so I got to hang at the tennis courts. But I know that... There are barriers to entry for a lot of players, and it is an incredible luxury to be able to not only be by the courts, but to be able to play in with like the kids clinics and the pros that worked for my dad. You know, they probably were so annoyed by me, but they were done with their days and I'd be like, you want to go out and hit for another 15, 20 minutes? Um, So they probably, uh, they they put a smile on their face. The perks of being the boss's daughter, I guess. But, um, But no, so thankful for that opportunity. Went on to play junior tennis in Florida, college tennis at Rice University, and then got a writing job for TennisNow.com, where some great friends of mine still work and churn out amazing content. But that's where I first started covering tennis. I um, I've mentioned this story before, but I, I laugh when I look back on it. The first major I covered was Wimbledon, and it was because I applied for credentials, didn't mention it to my boss, just applied, (laughs) had no idea if it was in the budget or if this was even possible. Uh, But I was like, well, hey, first step is to actually get approved for credentials. So (laughs) I sent in all the information thinking no shot in a million years. And lo and behold, Wimbledon said, you're approved. And so I Nice. Presented it to my boss. Uh, I said, you know, it's such a great opportunity for the website, which it was, but it was also, of course, selfishly a great opportunity for me. Uh, And I think that's when I first realized how small 
the tennis world is. It's the reason that I know you guys um, just from the small <laughs> tennis Twitter world, but it, in the media <laughs> portion of things, it really is very much the same way. I got to know some people at that tournament who I saw at every other media room I ended up in, and those relationships build. If people know what your skill set is and they know what you're good at, and if an opportunity arises, sometimes you can kind of slide right on in, and that's kind of mm -hmm. what happened with me. I did some on-camera work for Tennis Now, um, both doing sort of weekly news updates and also some instruction work, and because of mm -hmm. that experience, I ended up uh, at the 2015 U.S. Open on Court 17 as the MC. And the rest is sort of history. <laughs> One thing, so it's, it's nice when so you start cute. at the U.S. Open because every place you approach after that, they're like, well, you did the U.S. Open. You must be at least possibly <laughs> good. Uh, so I'll, I'll never, I, I tell my boss at the U.S. Open, he's still my boss to this day, Michael Fuhrer. I said, you know, he's like, what do you, are you going to start giving me a percentage? Because <laughs> really, because, because he took a chance on me. I, mm -hmm. you know, was able to sort of have that in with any other tournament that I approached. Um, and so incredibly thankful for that. I certainly was not, you know, brilliant at the job. Not that I am now, but I was, I, <laughs> I was definitely less good uh, when I started off. But I hopefully was passable and sort of learned as I went. And I love it. It is just the, the most fun and I miss it. I've missed doing as much as mm -hmm. I would normally do at this time of year. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that story. Um, I heard uh, about uh, you going um, for the U.S. Open um, slot um, because uh, your really duo of Nick McCarville, he actually uh, could not be able to MC on that court, correct? That is, uh, that is the other key part of that story. And, and the rest is also history there because we didn't know each other well. I remember the first time I had ever... Uh, sort of had contact with Nick, he wrote a freelance story for Tennis Now. And I remember, okay. I remember reading it and thinking, this is really good writing, uh, which, you know, is not, there are a lot of people who, who give it their best shot on the writing front. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not always great. Uh, and I remember seeing that first story from Nick, it was about doubles, I believe, I'm trying to remember the subject, but I was like, wow, this is this is really good. Uh, and then I, you know, as I paid attention more, I started seeing Nick literally everywhere I looked yep. um, and got to know him through Erwin Ong, who is another uh, person who sort of worked in the tennis world. Tennis Surf Fresh for any of those yep. who followed uh, Nick and Erwin <laughs> back in the day. Uh, but But it's really, I mean, what a cool story both of those two have. They both still work. They've gone sort of different avenues, but both still work in tennis. And they started, you know, just, just sort of doing their own thing and saying, this is what we're interested in. We think other people are interested in it too. And it blew up from there. So what, what a story, you know, Nick has in particular, and he has been just the absolute best. I was, <laughs> I was actually just texting him a couple of hours ago. I, it's funny. He's still in Australia. So oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, if I have random thoughts, I'll just text him and be like this. You're going to be waking up to this. Good morning. Here's my thought for the day. <laughs> um, so just some of my absolute, you know, Nick is, is one of my absolute best friends in this sport. I don't, you know, I consider him a great friend, whether or not we know each other from work, but, but gosh, I mean, I know this sounds so like pie in the sky, but it's, I have kind of a whole separate 
tennis life. You know, my I love my friends that are not in tennis, but they're most of the time like, what do you do? What is it exactly that you do? <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's so nice to talk to you guys or, or the people that I work with. It's just a really cool community that I'm really thankful for. Mm-hmm. You, you, t- you talk about it like it's almost like a kind of tennis family almost. Do you? Like, it is. I mean, can I get any cheesier here or hornier? <laughs> but it, I mean... It- <laughs> Oh, I can get cheesier. Um, so I uh, came to the 2017 Cincy Open, and Nick was actually one of the first people that I saw. And I believe it was uh, Radwanska. She was practicing on uh, the court like just over the way. Um, and so I ran into him, and I was like, Nick! And it, it's just like meeting a celebrity. I was just a starry-eyed <laughs> little kid. And, of course, as you were saying, he uh, wrote for... Uh, the uh, tennis serve fresh um corned beef hash or whatever it was like a blog spot or something before then too um so it's just amazing to see y'all's growth so just a <laughs> nice, nice little family it's cool and look at you guys too i mean can we just give a shout out while while we're talking about this i mean you guys got to know each other i assume you didn't know each other before you met on mm-hmm. in the tennis world, right? Yeah. Not at all, yeah. Yeah, like, and here you are doing a podcast. Brought together by our love for Andy, really. I, <laughs> it, yeah. is, it is a uniting force, I will say that. So I'm the same, you know, I'm the same, you know, like people around me don't really know much about tennis, and then I come here and I'm like, I can talk how much ever yeah. I want about it, and no one will, like, say anything like, what are you talking about, or anything, so it's good, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, talk, I talk to my friends, like, and they kind of, like, roll their eyes a little bit like when I'm like going on about going on about tennis and going on about Andy and it's like it's actually it's actually nice to just like chat to like people who like in real life yeah. you can actually like appreciate you know tennis for what it is totally so, where you don't have yeah. to to decode everything that's that's exactly how I, right. I you know if I ever yeah. mention work stuff in front of in front of my friends I there's like a five minute lead up to what the actual point is and by that time yeah. I've lost <laughs> I've lost them anyway so it's nice to not have to yeah. like give the background we, we all Absolutely. are on the same page <laughs> Um, so I would love to talk about um, your favorite tournaments that you've uh, emceed at and even just as a casual fan just been to. Yes. So I'm trying to think one of the first tournaments that I went to as a kid was back then it was called the Lipton, now the Miami Open. So it was one of the, I, I grew up in South Florida <laughs> in Palm Beach Gardens, which um, home of, of Serena or former home of Serena and Venus now that Serena has moved a little further south, I think, to, to North Miami. But uh, yes, so as a kid, I think I was 14 or four, 14-ish, and that was kind of the first big tournament that I ever attended. But I also ball-girled for some of the Champions Tour events. I can't even remember exactly what they called them, uh, the Legends, Champions. Um, uh-huh. But there were some summer events. I used to, my dad uh, worked in, the, in New York in the summers, and so we moved twice a year, and up in New York they had... The Citibank Champions, I'll never forget it. Uh, my first ball girling experience. So that's kind of where I wow. wet my appetite for, for this, or at least watching the sport and seeing the very best do what they do. Um, but in terms of working, okay, Newport will always have a very, very special place in my heart. And I know, obviously, geography for a couple of you is going to be a challenge. But (laughs) Peter, have you ever been to the Hall of Fame in Newport? I have not. And that's definitely a bucket list. So I need to go sometime in the future. It is not necessarily known um, for its 
draw every year. Um, That's not to say the tennis isn't great, but the people who are coming to watch the Hall of Fame Open are, you know, they're probably not going to see Roger Federer come come in and play. Yeah. Although he may, he may have played that tournament back in the day. Uh, but regardless, it's a small, intimate stadium. It's grass court tennis, which is such kind of a novelty anyway because it's after Wimbledon. Yeah. That's one of the funny things every year is you, ha- you see the guys in their little lounge area, which is outdoors, watching the Wimbledon final, uh, which, is, which wow. is always interesting. It kind of gives you a <laughs> glimpse into the fact that a lot of these players – are tennis fans just like we are when you see them you know I I watched I watched it was a very meta experience I was watching them watch Roger and Novak in that final and and I mean just they're they're just like hitting each other and oh you know having these reactions so it's it's just a reminder that there a there's still a pretty big Leap. Yes, these are yeah. all the absolute best players in the world, but there is still, for those players who are, you know, 50 to 150, it is it is a jump. That top 10, top 5, obviously top 3 or, or top 4 is, I mean, it's, it's yeah. next level. Um, so I love Newport. Love the fact, I'm not going to lie, that there are no night matches. So work-wise, it's just a much... <laughs> the sleep schedule is better. I love <laughs> the little local restaurants, um, the people there, being there for the induction, seeing the induction every year, and, and usually yes, getting to talk to I'd the... Love to see. Talk, getting to talk to the inductees. It is just a... It's a magical week. I absolutely love it, and I sure hope that it happens this year. I was just emailing with them the other day, and... Gosh, spare a thought for all the people who run tournaments because yeah. I, I would not want to be in their shoes because there's plan A through, you know, plan Z. I, it just would be exhausting. So I'm really mm-hmm. hoping that Newport happens as planned. Uh, so love that. Cincy, it has a special place in my heart as well. Absolutely love uh, that event. Wimbledon, I mean, you guys, I, I'm not going to go on and on about Wimbledon. You've heard plenty of people go on and on about Wimbledon. It is, it is, it's just, it's like not real life. You, you kind of, yeah. it's like the little yeah. kid in the, in the car after his tooth extraction. Like, is this real life? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it just, it, it just seems, it almost seems fake because it is so just perfect and mm-hmm. everything you sort of imagine it to be, um, I don't know. I feel like each tournament is kind of special in its own way. Again, I'm really racking up the cliche cheesy comments today, but we love that on my meetings. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all about the cliches. But I mean, the WTA final Singapore that was so cool. I did a lot of. Uh, uh-huh. It's amazing. It makes me feel like a very lazy American that my one and only language that I speak is English because it's amazing that I could go to Singapore and one of my main jobs in Singapore was fan interaction on their stage in sort of the fan quad out in front of the stadium and you could have you know you're having Q&A's obviously it's it's all in in English um and and just the amazing multicultural feel of that event I mean it was it was so cool to witness that to do I did the doubles draw with Martina and it was right by there and I'm 
right by the bay there that um, the, I'm going to shoot, I'm forgetting all of the, the landmarks, but you guys know, it's the big yeah. mall with the, yes, yeah. um, the crazy, <laughs> crazy Rich Asians finale, the, um, yeah, 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 yeah. yes, yes, so I mean, it's, it just, so there, there were times there, I mean, the ATP finals being on that boat with the top eight singles players in the world, there have definitely been some, some incredible moments at each tournament. Houston is also special. It's at a club. It's a private club. It's similar in feel, actually, to Newport, uh, but they're packed. They, they never have to worry about selling tickets because for the members at this club, it is like the event of the year. They're wearing yeah. their hats, their white <laughs> pants, the drink of the tournament is a planter's punch. I don't know if you've ever Ooh. tried one. Uh, yes, you'll have to Google it. I don't exactly know what's in it other than to say that it's strong. <laughs> by the end of the night in Houston, things get a little bit rowdy. I mean, they have this incredible player players party every year. So I don't know. I could go on and on. I feel like each tournament has something that is special and that's you know why if they'll have me i'll keep coming back <laughs> <laughs> i i wanted to ask you about um one i think you probably get asked this all the time but indian wells 2019 when you i was waiting for you to ask it rashmi one of the most iconic moments like um on tennis twitter we talk about it all the time i'm sure at the time it was like it it was a bit people were kind of finding it kind of cheesy uh -huh. but now it's mm -hmm. become so iconic it's a meme it's become it's a meme. so iconic now um the dennis shapovalov mm -hmm. rap that mm -hmm. he did and uh, i know you've been asked this all, all, many times no like, i i love talking about it it was a fun i mean it was one of the most memorable moments probably in my career yeah. I, I hope it stays that way because if if not it probably means I went viral for like the wrong reason or said something on court I didn't have <laughs> uh no but I Indian Wells and I I was remiss not to mention Indian Wells as as one of the most amazing tournaments as well because it is it's hard not to have a smile on your face walking around that site I mean palm trees the flowers it's it's just the best um but yes, the Dennis Shapovalov rapping. <laughs> I, it's interesting that you said you talked about the reaction to it, uh, right? Because yeah. it was mixed. And honestly, it was such a pure moment on the court. And then when you saw kind of what went down on social media, I had a pit in my stomach for at least 48 hours oh, because no. I will be because though I my goal I never want to make a player I want to have fun with the players but I never want them yeah. to be the butt of a joke or to feel oh. like people are laughing at them and while and when I say it was a pure moment the I mean that entire stadium 3 at Indian Wells which isn't huge but it's it's also not tiny mm -hmm. I mean they were cheering when he finally got it done at the end it was like the kid had just won yeah. Wimbledon uh, his parents <laughs> one of my favorite pictures uh I had a friend who was actually out there who I work with who wasn't doing anything at the time and I said hey FYI, this might happen today. Will you just come out and be ready with a camera just in case? Uh, because he had told, this whole thing was like planned in advance because it was the previous interview with him where he thought I was going to oh, yeah. ask him to rap, which wasn't 
my plan at all. Again, because I never want to make a player feel uncomfortable. But because I got the feeling that he might actually want to rap, that's when I sort of opened the door and said, mm-hmm. okay, well, here's the deal. No rapping today, but if you end up winning another match on this court, will you rap for us? And he was like, and he was into it. Uh, and, and so, but, <laughs> yeah, see, but that, that kind of thing, it requires a lot of skill, like as a, as an interviewer to know when, when the player is comfortable, when the player is not comfortable. It's like, it's really good. Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm not sure I, I always nail it, but it's, you, you run the risk of, being embarrassed publicly if you misread a situation. So I, I I definitely want to sort of push the boundaries of what's normal because I feel like in tennis in general, you guys know, people. it's been done the same way for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. I think that there is appreciation most of the time with players and with fans when something is done a little bit differently. And so Absolutely. I I want to always be pushing for that, but again, it's just a fine line because some players are game and some players are not. So all of that to say, this rap actually happens. He has prepared a rap. <laughs> so that's what I <laughs> when when I thought, you know, because again, like I said, I really felt horrendous because I was like I did I just put him in a position where he was, you know, made fun of? No thanks to Nick Curios, by the way. Like, I know he was just, he's, mm. I know he's always going to be the guy who's ribbing other guys. And yeah. I know it's all in yeah. good fun. Yeah. But also, like, the, the whole point, the reason I even brought up the rapping in the first place is because I think it is so cool when players have outlets other than tennis. And I think it's helpful to their yeah. tennis a lot of times, as long as there's a good balance. And we've seen that in other players, you gotta, you gotta hit the sweet spots. And uh, yeah, and the sweet spot for Dennis at that time was rapping and his team was so pumped when he finally got it done. Like his, all that to say, my friend who was taking pictures was taking it the opposite way of the camera shot. And so his team was in the Uh background. And when he finished the rap, I have this picture, I'm trying to think, (laughs) they're, they're like, Hands in the air, like so. This was like a moment. His coach at the time, Rob Steckley, who's a big um, video guy, did his own video production. He had he had his camera up. If I'm remembering correctly, I'll have to go back and look. But all of that to say, it was a really cool moment in the moment. I had an absolute heart attack mm-hmm. after it was over, thinking that I had put a player in a a bad or, or an uncomfortable position. But over time and having had interactions with Dennis since then, I think that I I, A, don't think he cares that much. I I think everybody cares to some extent, Mm -hmm. right? Like everybody wants to nail it. But I think he just really genuinely loves music and loves having Mm -hmm. that outlet and I don't think anyone's going to talk him down. He's still, you know, even at the U.S. Open this past summer, he did a whole thing on his favorite. I'm forgetting. I don't know. I'm not super well versed in, in the rap world, but he was talking about his favorite artists and they were, I gathered from the comments, they were maybe not like the most cool mainstream people. Well, yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? Who's the... I mean, I, I would know, like all, what I was going to yeah. say was like, in a way, Blair, I feel like, because now Dennis has had a few like songs released on Spotify. Mm-hmm. It's kind of helped kind of kickstart his career in a way, really. Correct. So like, right. Know, like, 
And he said, actually, so I happened to do a couple of post-match interviews with him at, I think it was at the U.S. Open. And we, one of the wins, I just radio up to my, to, to not to my, to the DJ on Armstrong. And I was like, hey, if he wins, can we play Night Train? So, of course, they, <laughs> oh they, <laughs> they get it all queued up. They play Night Train with the win. I walk up to the mic to see him. I was, you know, congratulations, Dennis. He's like, I love that you played my song. Thanks for playing my song. <laughs> and so, so it's been moments like that since then that I've been like, he just genuinely loves it. And I think that that day on court <laughs> will always be a very random but positive memory, I like to think, because he just freaking mm-hmm. loves rapping. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. that was a no. very long story, but it I definitely like that moment I was like, oh it was so great, but oh my gosh, did I just subject this kid to, you know, rid- ridicule <laughs> online. So anyway. We could honestly have an entire episode on <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. On Danish, I've loved yes. love love um, that guy. But um but yeah, no, chat a bit about Indian Wells there. Um the the other tournament that falls that normally on the calendar would be Miami, which is what we've like already talked about a little bit um and this episode right now i think when our listeners are hearing this uh, this episode will be going out just before miami begins uh, so we were just wondering like could you tell us a little bit about the venue what makes the tournament so so great and like yeah what what it has over other events that that, that make it quite a memorable tournament Right. So the last time I was in Miami was in 2018. So that was before the move. Um, But I can say there, I mean, have you guys traveled to Miami at all? I've been. Yeah. There's. Okay. So Hard Rock is a little bit removed. Kibis Kane was sort of in the the mix in the middle of things. Hard Rock Stadium is is a bit more removed from that. However, There is a very distinct, and this is straight from people who I know who have worked at the new or did work at the new venue. It's, there's still, it's just a Miami vibe, uh, <laughs> which is just very distinct if you've been there and, and very cool in its own way. I loved the stadium inside the stadium. Uh, I, I think it's a unique thing. And also one thing I will say is the fact that they have the hard rock team behind a lot of their production aspects I think once they because you know they had had the first tournament and sort of I I feel like this pandemic has really uh, unfortunately sort of just broken up the momentum but my hope is that Mm -hmm. they're going to have a pared down uh, operation this year they're not going to be using the the main stadium they'll use grandstand as their number one court Uh, but my hope is they can sort of rebuild the momentum because they have the resources of an NFL team, which has some of the most incredible digital production out there. I actually think that Miami under, under the correct direction, under somebody who sort of knows what is happening in the tennis world and what tennis fans want. I think they have the potential to have some of the best digital output out there. Uh, But I think it's just a matter of sort of, building, getting, getting their feet on the ground and building the foundation and then hopefully taking advantage of that next level digital tech stuff that they have to offer. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So like, 
you you've already chatted obviously a little bit about one of the uh, one of your one of your favorite on court moments with Dennis. Do you have any other like like moments that stick out in your head like when when you think about your on on court interviews at all that so here's a timely one. I mean, there there have been there have been some really lots of cool moments I've had. <laughs> I mean, and and some are cool, some are memorable, not because they're cool. I mean, I've had uh, Fabio Fonini decline a post match interview after coming back from like losing the first oh, set six zero one one in three oh. sets. The crowd is going nuts, and he's like deuces. <laughs> Oh my See you later. God. Oh my God. That sounds like him. Um, That's the most Fabio story ever. Right. I mean, it's it's very, very on brand. Listen, the fans still had an awesome time, but there have definitely been some moments like, I'm okay. I didn't, he just had an incredible win. I did not see that coming. No. Um, but a timely, a timely uh, story is, this is from the US Open 2018, I believe. 2018. When did mm-hmm. when did Naomi win? I my years are all is it was it 2018? 2018. Yeah, and was then she went on to win the 2019 yeah. Australian, right? So yeah. it was en route to her first major title. And she, you know, Naomi has come a long way in the interview department. Mm-hmm. But one of the challenges that you have as an MC is you have some players who are just soft-spoken. And so you know you're going to have to have the mic sort of up in their grill. And one of the first, a lot of you, I'm sure, know Andrew Krasny, who is an MC, sort of all over the place. Uh, But the first U.S. Open that I did, he came out to sort of watch and critique me. And and he, you know, thankfully it was overall a a good review. But he said, you know, maybe put the microphone a little closer to the player's mouth. My next interview was with Flavia Panetta, the year that she won, oh, wow. and I also soft-spoken, right? So I have the microphone, you know, it's it's up in her grill, and <laughs> and but I'm thinking in my head, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. She took one finger, so you know the the mic has the mic flag around it, the little square triangle on the the stick. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. she she takes one finger touches the top of the mic fly and pushes it straight down. (laughs) Okay, okay, point taken. They're not going to hear you, but I won't be putting the microphone that close to your mouth. Um, But similar story with Naomi 2018. I had issues in grandstand with, and it's always, it's always a thing to sort of get the levels right and make sure everyone can hear. And sometimes there are dead spots in stadiums, but true to New York fans, it was one of the earlier interviews I had that day, and I don't remember who it was, but I had people on, like, the top row yelling, we can't hear her. <laughs> we can't hear her. Oh, so no. cue <laughs> Naomi coming up, knowing that the people on the top rows are having a hard time hearing anyway, and knowing that she is one of the softest spoken interviews out there. <laughs> so I have them. I mean, I have the mic up close to her, right? And she, you guys may have seen the clip because, of course, it made its way to Twitter. But she's talking yeah. and she starts leaning back, back, back and does a, <laughs> does a complete yes. back bend. And, of course, like, you're trained to just follow them with the mic. So, I, you know, <laughs> the further away she bent back, the closer I got the mic to her face until she said, oh, my gosh, that mic is so close. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyway. 
I, yeah, so that, I feel like that's a timely one given that she has, A, come such a long way in terms of her mm-hmm. public speaking, her speeches, her pressers, um, and she was always, she always had something to say. It was just, mm-hmm. it was, it was actually, she was a tough interview at first because you had, you couldn't really get a rhythm. A lot yeah. of times interviewing is, there's just a natural conversational rhythm that you get in and you're like, okay, you can mm-hmm. see the end of the sentence coming. And with Naomi, it was hard to know when she was finished. She could be finished after one word. She could have one sentence or she could, you know, think about it for 20 seconds and then give you her answer. So all of that to say, mm-hmm. I think she still has the same great stuff to say, but there's just a little bit more of a rhythm to it, which I think overall makes it a better interview for the people who are watching. Um, but that was definitely a funny moment. I was like, I'm really sorry. Like, I, that's my job to make sure people can hear. <laughs> but those are the moments that you look back on in the future. Correct. Like. We, I lie. Most of them yeah. I can laugh about. Some of them I try never to think about because I'm just mortified. But um, for the most part, I can laugh. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, like, I've already mentioned this, and speaking of a timely interview, you interviewed Stefanos and you asked him about Rafa Nadal and you asked him about the fighting spirit meant playing Rafa Nadal and a few weeks after that Stefanos managed to beat Rafa coming from two sets down so and your clip your interview made it to Twitter um, as well so how did you feel talking to Stefanos weeks before he managed to do that about Rafa? Uh, well, let me just tell you that rarely happens where you, same, same thing with, I, I, but I've, I, guys, I've been on a hot streak lately because I did, during the off season, I was assigned a profile on Jen Brady uh, and did wow. that. And again, it's so like, so often you are like the curse. You ask about something and there's, I mean, it may never happen again for that, the rest of that player's career. So it's great when something like that happens, but I would say it doesn't happen that often. Um, Steph is curious and thoughtful mm-hmm. and sometimes it, that also makes a challenging interview just be, for the same sort of reason. You don't, it's, it's a little tougher to sort of yeah. feel where he's going <laughs> um, because I yeah. think sometimes he doesn't know, but I would take that any day over, over somebody who just sort of has the answers already in their head and is going to answer the same thing no matter what you ask mm-hmm. them. Because you can get some really interesting nuggets. It helps you learn more about the game, about that player's personality. And that's where I'm really, I think, passionate is helping fans get to know players on a different level. I, because I think that's what really makes fans for life. You know, you can love somebody's forehand, but it's, you know, sometimes it's it's those little nuggets that you get in an interview or, or you see, mm-hmm. you know, a, a fun right. moment or a cute moment that happens off court. And, and those are the things that sort of stick with you. So, uh, so again, I, I think he is, he is so, he's just a really curious person. And I have a lot of respect for that, especially for somebody as young as he is. And I hope he stays he's sort of pure and unadulterated in terms of, of the media mm-hmm. aspect of things. And just yeah. the fact that they said yes, the fact that they said yes to me, I was doing that completely on my own. I had no big publication oh, wow. name behind me and yeah. they, and he said yes to that. And I think that that says oh. a lot about, he, he's just willing to think outside the box. And a lot of times, I mean, you just get the feeling he really actually wants to talk to you, uh, yeah. which may or may not be true, but I really just think he loves a good conversation. 
So uh, it's, it's, I would say, a rarity, but it's, it's a delight. Just, just to jump in on that, like, you, you said that you, um, you didn't have, like, any, like, team behind you when you were interviewing him. Like, it, it was really just, like, you and him. Did, did you feel, like, added pressure in that, in that case to kind of get him, get, get some good answers from? Well, yes. I, I don't know that I, I don't know that that affected the way I went about it at all. I, I felt pressure in terms of if he was giving me his time. I wanted people to watch it. And when yes. you're putting it out only on your own social channels with no, yeah. you know, huge account behind you, there, there's definitely a fear yeah. that, you know, you could get five views and the agent could see that and be like, well, we're never doing that again. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, there's definitely pressure, I think, in that sense to have people enjoy the fact that this is sort of a off-the-record type casual conversational interview with him holding his cell phone like this in his hotel room so so yes there was pressure in the sense that i just wanted people to to watch watch and enjoy it yes one of my favorite interviews that you've done um and skits was with yoshi uh, nishioka um, who's a great guy who took andy to five sets in the first round of the of the u.s open in 2020 Can you talk about that interview uh, and the creative process and headwear that went into it? <laughs> yes. Just to be clear, are we talking? We're talking about the the, the, Delray the, the DBO cart, yes. Um, yes. Or okay, because we I caught up. I made sure Yoshi wasn't in Delray this year, and I made sure we talked to Yoshi and Delray. Um, uh, he, well, first of all, I mean, in a nutshell, that was. The fact that that video shoot came together was the hand of God (laughs) because there were so many things that could have gone wrong. There were so many times where I could have been told, uh, absolutely not, (laughs) you know, get, get our player off this golf cart. You know, Stevie Johnson almost rolled the golf cart that I borrowed from the city of Delray Beach, which broke down two days later. I don't know. I don't know if there was a connection, Uh, but it was my uh, my the uh, person who shoots video in Delray. He does a lot of other tournaments as well. His name is Jacob Stuckey, and he was joking around saying something about I don't even know what the joke was, but something about Yoshi playing Yoshi, and uh, and that morphed into doing Mario Kart, which we called DBO Kart, which. <laughs> Again, I props to Greg Sharko, who is a longtime uh, comms person for the ATP, who's just the best and laid back and trusted me to do that. And again, not make the player the butt of a joke, but have it be something new and different. And I also enlisted Jordan Thompson and Stevie Johnson as Mario and Luigi, yeah. respectively. And we, uh, when I tell you though, we we had to get, we had to clear the streets. We had to get, I mean, I, the valet guys were part of the thing because I had to set up the cones. I had to borrow the cones from the police department. It was like, oh, I, by the end of the day, smelled so bad because I was like lugging. The cones weighed like 50 pounds. Um, I mean, it it was just, I, I, I still can't believe we ended up getting it done, but Obviously, Yoshi was sort of the linchpin for that whole idea. If Yoshi wasn't in, I wasn't. I wasn't going through that trouble. If Yoshi, if Yoshi didn't want to be Yoshi, um, yeah. and and he ended up being great as I as I thought he would be. And interestingly, I was actually going to uh, push this clip on um, maybe sometime this week as just sort of a random little tennis bit. But when I caught up with Yoshi 
this February, or yeah, yes, are we still in February? No, January, January. <laughs> Delray Beach is in January <laughs> this year. I'm all fouled up. Uh, but he, I asked what the response was, what response he got on social media to do, to doing something that was really outside the box because it could go either way. Right. We saw Uh that with, with Dennis, you know, people don't always embrace something different. And he said, you know, I, people loved it. I, it's the reason I do, he has his own YouTube channel. It's, he's going to be shooting some behind the scenes stuff. He's like, you know, People out there are interested in what I do, and I wanted to show them that you could have fun and you could be different. And I'm trying to remember his exact answer, but it was it showed a really incredible understanding of sort of the big picture, in particular if you are not ranked in the top 10. And I sure hope Yoshi can get there one day, but if you are not one of those guys who is on billboards for the biggest tournaments, you sort of have to, or you don't have to, but you can really improve your financial productivity mm-hmm. if you develop other aspects of your brand. Uh, yeah. And people do, in particular, yeah. like the Japanese fan base. Like, gosh, yeah. I mean, there. He he said, I hope they care about me like I care about, like they care about Kay, or they, you know, they care. You know, some kids oh. care what I eat for breakfast, and so that's what I want to show them on my YouTube channel. So. Again, he has he has sort of a big picture understanding of how doing things that are a little bit outside of the box can really endear fans to you. Uh, and and I mean, it certainly worked for me. I'm like anything I see about Yoshi, I'm like retweet, retweet. <laughs> I like I like how in the video he says like Yoshi's the fastest. That's why I won. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> right. Uh, and that's what he said when I when I first asked him to do it. Um, in person with the Yoshi head in my hand. I, he said, oh, I love Yoshi. He, he's the fastest. I'm like, okay, great. Does that, mean, does that mean you'll do it? I love it. Um, That's fantastic. So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, great things to say about Yoshi. Stevie is amazing, as is Jordan. Mm-hmm. Just really good sports all the yeah, way around. Those were, by the way, those two are really great casts as well because they're really famous for their mustaches. And Funny backstory, uh, Jordan Thompson was actually not pleased that Stevie was not clean shaven in the rest of his face that he had not, he had not kept up. He's like, I can go out and get him razors. And I was like, I don't, I mean, you could, but I don't know that Stevie's going to go to the bathroom and shave for this. We can force him to do it. Uh, But Jordan was like, mine is perfect. His looks, his does not look good. So anyway, um, the the commitment level was high. Let's just say that. Oh, so good. And you also did you also did um, earlier this year, but in the AO quarantine as well, you did a, a whole TikTok on all the the what the players are getting on with during the Amazing. AO quarantine, which so was good. so good. Like so honestly, good. I don't know how you came up with half of those. Like they're so good. I love. I love just being creative but as my husband was watching me like walk by with like costumes um he's like what what are you doing because I didn't tell him I just was because I didn't even know if it would if anything would come of it I was like well let me just try this and see how it comes out I'm like it's it's fine I'm, it's fine <laughs> um, as I have like multiple shirts and a mustache and anyway uh so yeah again it's it's just a fine line I finished it I actually sent it to Nick sent it to a couple of other people I trust in the industry. And I was like, is this going to look 
like I'm making fun of anyone because that was certainly not the goal. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of, what a bizarre couple of weeks that was, right? Um, And and you saw players doing unusual things on a number of fronts. And so it was just sort of to be like, hey, we we made it through. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, again, it was never, you know, I I would never want to come off like I was making fun of of any players. But I sent it to, I sent it to some people that I trust and they all said, no, I mean, I think it's, there were, I can't tell you what I had to edit out, but there were a couple of things I had to, <laughs> I had to There so were a few. There were a couple of things that maybe came a little too close to the truth. Um, so. Maybe we can talk about that after we right, okay. we'll, we'll finish recording and we'll chat. Yeah, perfect. Um, you guys are sworn, you have to sign NDAs. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so all of that to say, I, I'm glad the response, I think people took it in good fun um even a couple of players jenny brady maria sakari they they both seem to get a kick out of it and maria was actually in the video so i you know yeah. as long as i as long as i pass the player test i think we're we're okay we saw the yoshi hat again in that as well yeah. i love that i mean guys i now that i own that thing i will it will make an appearance whenever physically possible <laughs> those are the kind of things as well that like you're not going to get that in any other kind of like work line or job line nope. at all. Like, no, you know, won't. You sure, you sure won't. My, my friends are not making TikToks for, for work, <laughs> let, let's just say. Oh, so good. Um, so, yeah, uh, you're, you've been kind enough to come on Murray Musings, uh, which is obviously a podcast about... Andy Murray, um, and you've had a, a a few a few opportunities to to chat him in person and to and to interview him. I do believe. Um, can, I was wondering if you could like share any kind of anecdotes about those times um, and <laughs> what what he's like as an interviewee. I Andy is sort of a unicorn in in the interview <laughs> sense. That's a great quote. I love that. <laughs> uh, first of all, you really can plan a content schedule uh, slash strategy around Andy, which let me just tell you, I had done for Del Rey when he got the wild card. Uh, so I'm I'm oh. filing those ideas away for future reference. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll have have another time to shoot them, but. He he's a unicorn in the sense that he's not careful, or at least he doesn't present himself mm-hmm. as being careful in interviews. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. and I, when I say he doesn't present himself as being careful, he's also very good with words. So he may very well be careful and and very well have planned out every word that he has to say, but he comes off as saying whatever he's feeling in the moment. And that uh, just with with well-known famous people at baseline is something you don't get a lot of. In particular, a mm-hmm. player who is being analyzed by the British press, which takes literally yeah, every yeah. sentence he says. And I mean, there could be a whole story written about sure. <laughs> two sure. lines. So the fact that he is as genuine as he is in interviews and that you could get Mm -hmm. him on a bad day and he might not, he might not be feeling it and you might know that as well. But I, again, I would much rather have that and have the possibility of having him just let it fly in an interview than 
the other side of things, which is a player who, you know, really doesn't give you much. And, and I understand, by the way, why some players don't. I totally understand and respect that. But it makes you appreciate the players who do give you an in-depth, thought-out response to your questions, uh, no matter who you are. And I really have seen it with Andy. It could be somebody who is well-known and interviews at a lot of tournaments, or it could be the local newspaper reporter. And yeah. I think yeah. that Andy still will give you a thoughtful response no matter who you are, which is, again, something you don't always see. There are some players who are very good at flipping the switch depending on who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So the couple of times that I have gotten to talk to him, one, I really I haven't gotten to talk to him a ton, but one of the first times was a couple of summers ago in Cincinnati, and we did that series called Kidding Around where we asked questions about the players' childhoods. And, I mean, we got, I think, like, two of three of our most viewed videos for that tournament were just Andy (laughs) answering questions on camera. I I mean, talking about his grand being so disappointed when he was cursing on the court. I mean, you could see it in his eyes. Like, it's still, it was like crushing to him that grand was disappointed. Um, ribbing Jamie about the stuffed animal that Jamie used to carry around uh, at tournaments <laughs> kind of led me to believe Jamie may still carry around. <laughs> still has it in his back bag. It's possible. Um and uh, and then just just a for instance of where a, a really kind of bizarre question can turn into like a very endearing moment was at the U.S. Open this past year. And I was uh, doing a tandem interview with the USTA. So we asked a lot of the, the basic, you know, bubble questions and, and playing after not playing questions. And I was also doing a series for Cincinnati on what it was like sleeping in your own bed because most of these players were home for much longer periods than they ever had been, right? So yeah. I was thinking, okay, well, maybe this would be interesting to ask about, like, sleep habits and, and what their beds are like. Well, this is going to make me seem really, like, sheltered. But I did not, like, I thought it'd be funny to ask the question, little spoon, big spoon, or no spoon. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, my God. Such a famous Andy clip. And, and let me just tell you that in my, I mean, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think of spooning as sexual. I think of it as, like, cuddling. Yeah. No, I don't think the players took it that way either, to be honest. No. I, I don't know, but I definitely had some people behind the scenes who were like, I can't believe you asked that question. Um, and I'm like, I was not trying to be scandalous like, at all. Um, but anyway, all of that to say, I asked that question of Sir Andy Murray. And instead of declining to answer or saying that's completely inappropriate... <laughs> He gives me a detailed response on, I'm not, like, anti-spoon. I like to spoon, but the problem is that I get hot. I get very hot. (laughs) Um, And he's like, so I like spooning, but just for, for short periods. And so looking back after the whole thing was said and done, the bed segment turned out to be a total flop in general. It just wasn't what I thought it was going to be in my mind, which happens sometimes. You have an idea and you're like, eh, that, that wasn't yeah. as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, but 
Andy's one response literally <laughs> saved that entire video because people were like, wow, that's something I didn't expect to learn today, that Andy Murray is pro, he's pro spoon. Um, so again, I, that's just, that's just a great example of, you know, I was potentially asking something inappropriate, uh, but he, he did, did not face him. Um, but, and for the record, in case anybody saw that segment, I was really just thinking about cuddling on my end. <laughs> um, but anyway, all that to say he, he's again, a very thoughtful, um, uh, just seemingly very genuine and what you see is what you get. And I think at the beginning mm-hmm. of his career, people didn't appreciate that. And yeah. I think at this point, people are like, hey, I know if he's hating life. I know if he's having a good day. I know right. it, you, you know how he's feeling. And that's actually a glimpse into an athlete that we don't always get. Um, and yeah. I think <laughs> over time... People have come to really appreciate that about Andy Murray. Uh, So I understand why you all are fans. (laughs) Blair, thank you very, very much for coming coming on Murray Musings uh, for an episode and for for allowing us to hear uh hear some of your some of your experience and uh we you are welcome back anytime of course uh, we're always we're all you're always welcome back you can, you can come on every single episode actually so you know you can put aside all the other tennis events and uh, the tennis tournaments you've got coming up but you can just come on and work for murray musings oh, <laughs> but, but no you're welcome back anytime um so yeah thank you very much for that i uh yeah we uh we we all really really appreciated your your insight in this episode so thank you very much for coming on well thank Thank you you all peter you've always been so encouraging i appreciate you so much rashmi and scott it was just great to be able to meet you uh see your faces because you know (laughs) the twitter verse is a large verse uh so it's nice to see you uh nice to see you that's right and i just want to say encouragement to you guys for doing your own thing because it's hard and it's scary to put yourself out there but props to you Mm -hmm. and who knows where it'll go so just remember me when Murray Musings is the number one <laughs> Apple podcast in the world. We will. We certainly will, Blair. Thank you very much again. Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.